You are listening to the Motherhood Unstressed Podcast, and I'm your host, Liz Carlisle. Welcome back. Welcome to a fresh week. I'm so glad that you're here as always. And like always, I'm bringing you an incredible guest that's going to help up-level your life in some way. This week, we are diving into the mesmerizing world of the terrible bag of horrible things. This is a novel for young readers, and we're unraveling this extraordinary tale penned by talented author and veteran animator Rob Renzetti. Now, in this interview, Rob is taking us on a journey through the pages of his latest book, offering a glimpse into the power of storytelling and creativity. Now, you probably know Rob from his work if you've watched anything on TV in the past 10 years. He is a seasoned TV animation veteran with an Emmy under his belt for his work on Cartoon Network's Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends. He's bringing his creative prowess to this enthralling novel, which is perfect for your middle schooler. As the mind behind Nickelodeon's My Life as a Teenage Robot and Disney's Gravity Falls, Rob's insights into the creative process and the intricate interplay of imagination will leave you inspired and I believe more in tune with your ability to change and shape the story of your own life. This kind of seems to be a recurring theme this year, this season, um, but I think that that gives weight to the power of storytelling and the stories that we tell ourselves about our own lives. And when you can start to shift um, the stories that you have in your own mind about your past, present, and future, it's amazing what you can create in your own life and the future that you can procure for yourself. Now, if you are on the hunt for the perfect book to ignite your middle schooler's love for reading, I know I am, The Terrible Bag of Horrible Things is the ultimate choice. So you're going to learn about this book and um, and more than that, you're going to learn about the power of storytelling from a master storyteller. So please enjoy this episode with Rob Renzetti. Well, hello, Rob. Welcome to the show. I'm honored that you're here. Oh, thank you, Liz. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. You're so accomplished. You've you've earned an Emmy. You have been a producer and a writer for many, many years. Um, but before we get into all of that, including your latest book for children, um, can you talk a little bit about the major events, or maybe they were minor in your life, that led you to the work that you're doing now in art? Wow. Well, that's a, that's a big topic. I mean, I've said this before, but I guess the, the main event that kind of put me on the trajectory I'm on did come from my mother. Um, uh, she was not an artist herself, but she was an accomplished, I guess, uh, tracer or copier. <laughs> when I was very young, I had all these coloring books and I, um, rather than damage them by cutting out the um, images, I wanted her to make me a copy of images so then she could cut them out or I could cut them out and I could play with paper dolls. So she, I was constantly asking her to draw stuff for me that I saw in my own coloring books so that um, I don't know why I, did, I cared so much about not damaging the original image, but for some reason I did. Um, and I did this so often that eventually she said, well, why don't you try drawing them for yourself? And I did. I did I, that's how I started drawing, basically, because my mother... Uh, I was stressing my mother out with all this extra requirement to uh, draw images for me. So um, I've been drawing since a very, very early age um, and fell in love with cartoons, uh, fell in love with the medium um, and uh, was always doing uh, coming up with my own original characters and doing stories for them, doing very primitive comics with them. Uh, or doing like one panel gags with them. So I was always, I've been drawing and writing since a very young age. And really my mother is the one who started me on that journey. Well, that's amazing. It's like she could see in you what you were already really good at and what you were already attracted to. 
Well, that's a very complimentary way of putting it <laughs> for her. I'm, I'm, you know, she was, no, she was, she was a, I love my mother. She was an excellent mother. She was actually very encouraging of me. Once I did start drawing, uh, my father was always a little bit skeptical that I could uh, make a career in this field, but my mother always supported me and uh, always uh, both emotionally and financially. And when it came time to cart me off to California to go to a very expensive art school, she made sure that that happened despite my father's grousing. So. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. See, we never would have known if I hadn't asked that question. I love it. Very true. Um, okay, well, let's get into the inspiration for the book. It's called The Horrible Bag of Terrible Things, and it's actually yes. part of a trilogy. Um, yes. Can you talk about the inspiration for the book and how it came to be? Uh, a couple of inspirations. Again, I have to turn to another woman, the, the other uh, uh, important woman in my life, who's my wife of uh, close to 30 years. Um she uh, has a real talent for a turn of phrase, and she's the one who came up with the phrase, the horrible bag of terrible things. It was actually in reference to a grocery bag of old tax receipts and phone bills and stuff that we were doing our best to ignore. That was uh, <laughs> glowering from the corner at us. Um, <laughs> um, but that title stuck in my mind. And uh, I've been wanting to, I've done, I've done a few um, books for Disney publishing, which were based on their own characters. And I've wanted to be doing a, a book of my own uh, idea for a while. And so there was that just that title kind of hanging in my um, my consciousness. And um, uh, the other inspiration, again, comes from cartoons, which is um, Felix the Cat. In the 1960s version of Felix the Cat had this bag of tricks, uh, which made a big, big, big impact on me when I saw those cartoons on TV. Um, it's just this uh, very much like the horrible bag. It's like a dot looked like a doctor satchel or an old fashioned kind of uh, suitcase. Um, and he used to pull magical things out of it and, and uh, tra- it would transform into magical things. So. Magic inside of a bag has been kind of in my head since I was a kid. Mm. Um, so that was kind of how I, the idea that there might be a, a world inside of um, this bag uh, came to me first. I love it. And you almost liken it to uh, an Alice in Wonderland story. How For is sure, it different yeah. than that? I mean, because it's not, I mean, that was that was a pretty intense story of its time. And, and then this is just completely I don't want to say off the wall, but it it grabs your attention immediately. <laughs> I hope so. That's the point. But um, I mean, Alice in Wonderland was a huge uh, influence on it. Um, and um, just the absurdity of Alice in Wonderland. I always loved that. I was a big fan of the Disney version of the, um, of the, uh, in the, the movie version of it, Alice that Disney put out. But um, uh, also uh, reading the original uh, stories, they're just really strange and absurd and they seem, um, I don't know. They're just, I loved, I wanted to do kind of a, like a kind of a, a darker Alice in Wonderland, though Alice in Wonderland obviously itself has got some very dark, strange elements to it. Um, um, and I think I always, I always think, um, I always think that children's literature that leaves that the darker aspect of things out of it is doing a disservice to children in a way. Um, um, because children experience all this stuff in the real world. They experience the darker parts of the world, no matter how their parents may try and shield them from them. I mean, you, you know, as a parent, I'm not a parent, but you know, as a parent that it's just impossible to shield your children completely. So I think it's best to prepare them for that stuff. And I think children's literature that includes some portion of that is, 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 is doing them a service um, that stuff that leaves it out uh, may not be doing for them. So I love those dark aspects of Alice and I wanted to kind of get that into the book and certainly the idea that you tumble into a strange world, um, of your own volition um, was something that the horrible bag and, and, and um, Wonderland have in common. Yeah. I I couldn't agree with you more because I do feel like 
as parents, it is our job to fully prepare our children as best we can for the realities of the world. And if you do shield them too much when they do go off to school or they do leave the nest and they're faced with real adversity and they have no real coping mechanisms, I mean, you provide the coping mechanisms through your character stories and through their emotions and their own internal monologue. Was it easy to write for Zenith and and to convey his feelings about what was going on? Or did you feel like you, I mean... How was it writing for for this guy? Um, I mean, it was relatively easy. He is kind of my equivalent. He, he is the character that's closest to me in the book. Um, I am uh, rather sarcastic, and he has a sarcastic streak to him. Um, one thing we don't share in common is he's actually good at sports, and I've always been rubbish at I've, every sport I ever tried. Uh, besides <laughs> besides golf, which I have a little bit of ability, and but not much, only because my father forced me to play it throughout my childhood because he was a golf fanatic. So if I wanted to see my father on the weekend, I had to be on the golf course with him. Um, my mom and I would play with him on the, on the, usually on a Sunday afternoon. Um, but yeah, no, I'm not very good at golf uh, or any I'm or any other sports really. Um, uh, but no, Zenith is kind of Zenith is me, and I you know um, I, I I've I've kind of written for this audience my whole career in the form mm-hmm. of the cartoons. Uh, the cartoons I've always worked on have mostly been geared towards. A middle grade audience so i feel like i kind of can hit that that target um but i'm mostly just you know i'm writing for something that i think will be entertaining for both adults and for children so um i try not to write down to children i don't think it's wise to do so um if i felt like i was using vocabulary words that might be too much of a stretch for them i felt like well they can always look that word up and i always figured my my editor would tell me like no don't use that that's that's too advanced for the 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 age group or whatever so i've you know um i tried not to think about them in a way that would limit the book uh and because I, I feel like i don't want to limit their enjoyment of it um and that's what editors are for and uh, i've had a really good editor relationship with my people at uh, penguin so i knew if i was doing something that didn't feel right to them um for the age group that they would they would they would tell me so yeah, absolutely. Was it easier writing for Disney based on characters that had already existed or was it harder coming up with your own? I mean, what as a creative person? It, I mean, it was obvious. I think it was easy. Yes, it's easier to uh, work on something that pre-exists, um, mm-hmm. especially the books I was writing for Disney, because a lot of times it would be like um, a retelling of something that happened on the TV show from maybe a different perspective or whatever. Um, as well as coming up with new stuff. Um, but, um, you know, that was easier than coming up with something from scratch, but, um, luckily there's kind of a trick you do as a creative person, which is you just sit in front of a blank sheet and having been trained to be creative on a schedule my whole career, if I put myself on a schedule, I end up usually coming up with something. Um, some days are more productive than others, obviously. Um, but most days I'll at least get a good paragraph out of a new story, or sometimes I'll get several pages. Um, or I'll just come up with a completely new character that I didn't have before I sat down. Um, that turns up to be vital. It's it's not completely understandable, but if yeah. you if you do create for a living, you know that there's something uh, you develop this um this um, reflex that happens, which is you force them, force yourself to be creative and you come up with something. It might be bad. You might create <laughs> something that's bad. You might create something that two weeks down the road, you're like, what was I thinking? But you will come up, usually come up with something. So yeah. um, it is both more challenging to come up with something from scratch, but also um, more rewarding when you do. So 
Um, obviously, I've been wanting to have something that was my very own in, in, in book form for a while. So I'm happy that I that I ended up forcing myself to sit in front of the screen. Yeah, I love that you use the word forcing yourself because listening to you, there does seem to be such an element of discipline. And it's like, if you you have the natural ability, you have the talent, you have the desire, but if you don't have a schedule and, and sit down in front of that blank page, nothing is going to be created. And then, like you said, these characters that just came to you would never have happened. So what do you do specifically in your day? If you are on a schedule, okay, you've got your deadline. What do you do to really hone those skills to make sure that you're creating at the level that you want to create? Um, yeah, I mean, one thing is just basically, this is something that I did when I first started on the first book, which took me several years to write because I was writing it basically an hour at a time in the morning. I decided uh, I was an early riser anyways. I was going to wake up an hour earlier and devote an hour um, of my the first hour of my day to write and try and write the story. And um, this I had a full-time job at Disney television at the time. So basically I would do this and then I would go off and do my pain work. Um, and a lot of writers have to do that. A lot of writers are making a living writing, so they have to kind of squeeze it in at some point. And everybody's different. Some people write late at night after they put their kids to bed if they have kids. Um, some people r- wake up early like me. I've always been a morning person, which is kind of on the minority in the artist community, <laughs> I think, yeah. for the most part, certainly in animation. Like, um, yeah. uh, But, you know, I'm, so I'm used to that. I'm used to the idea that I'll be up early. So I just basically uh, devoted that hour of time. The other thing that isn't really discipline, but I think is very useful, which is, and I I'm constantly learning this lesson myself again and again and again. If something occurs to you, don't think you're going to remember it. Mm. Like if you're not in that hour where you're writing down and you're just like in the shower or whatever, or you're at your job or you're at a gas station, or whatever, find a piece of pe- piece of find, sorry, find a piece of paper or put the voice memo on on your phone or send yourself a message at a different phone line and tell yourself the idea because it will escape you and you will never remember it again. Yeah. It doesn't matter how obvious it is, how you're like, I will never forget that. It's like, you will definitely forget it. So yeah. uh, that's it's a different form of discipline, but it's like, grab those ideas when they come to you because they may never come to you again and you want to make sure you have them. Yeah. Um, so I have a million pieces of paper um, that have been floating around and I save some of them. A lot of them go in the trash, but it's just like one sentence on a scrap of paper that I'm like, Oh, that goes in chapter five. I got to remember that. And just, I put it on my desk and make sure I integrate it into the manuscript when I get a chance. I love it. Where do most of these out of the the scheduled time ideas happen to you? Is it in the shower? Is it on a walk? Are you hanging out with your wife? Like where, where do they mostly happen? Or is I it think just mostly, scattered? It does mostly happen in the shower because mm. you're in, um, you're forced to be in the moment in the shower <laughs> to a large extent. Um, you know, of course your mind can wander in there, but, um, uh, you know, I definitely have a problem with my mind wandering and worrying about all the disparate problems we all have, um, whether they're large or small. Um, and, uh, that does occupy a large portion of my day, but some, sometimes in the shower, you just kind of like the, the time when you're forced to be in the present because otherwise you're not going to get what you need to accomplish. There's very limited tasks you have to accomplish in the shower, right? So you've got to be at least focused to a certain degree on those things. Um, the ideas definitely tend to pop into my head in the shower. Um, or if I'm cooking or prepping to cook, mm. like cutting vegetables or something like that, again, you need to kind of be in the moment. And yeah. being in the moment somehow allows your um, self, your uh, subconscious to um, offer up ideas that it's kind of been working on when you, when you weren't looking. I love that. Um, 
the other the other part of it, I think, of being creative and being disciplined in your creativity is knowing not forcing it. Like you have to force yourself to sit down, but like when you hit a stumbling block, you have to have the confidence to know that if you put it, you you know what the question is, you let the question question kind of simmer like cooking in your subconscious for a while, usually your subconscious will come up with something. So whether it's the next day or the next week or whatever, something that's been bedeviling, you can often um, all of a sudden pop up. And now you're, now you have the answer that you were looking for. But if you, you, you keep uh, pounding at it, you'll just get frustrated and feel like it's impossible. Um, And usually most problems you encounter are, they're never in terms of writing (laughs) are never impossible. We all have our impossible tasks that seem to have no answer in the real life, but uh, that's one good thing when you're creating, you have a little bit more control than you do in the actual world. I don't know. I feel like that letting go would be advantageous to almost anything in our lives. You know, this crisis comes in and it's like, okay, I know I have to deal with this. I'm not ignoring it, but let me just relax into this a little bit. And then the answer, the best answer can come up. Sure. I mean, yes, that is the case. And sometimes the problems solve themselves, you know, um, the whatever that I'm I'm uh, dealing with a bunch of uh, tax related stuff right now because unfortunately my father after a very long life passed away last year at the age of 90 mm. um but he lived in Illinois and I live in California and I've been dealing with all his estate and all this and I just got a I got a letter from the Illinois tax authority that I did not see coming and like they want me to prove that I'm my father in order to submit his last tax return I'm like I'm submitting it because he's passed away. I cannot prove to you that I'm him because I am not him, but it is a legitimate return. We're not trying to perpetrate some sort of fraud. You guys know that he passed away, right? So that's the you know, latest thing that has come to me. And I don't, I think I'm going to have to deal with that, but I was not, I thought there was another problem coming my way and I was worried mm. about that problem. So I probably should have worried less about that problem because the problem that presented itself to me was not the one I was worried about. Oh my gosh, your subconscious is like, don't worry about that one. I got you. <laughs> um, when in writing the book, going back to the book, did anything surprise you besides, you know, maybe a new character popping up? But did anything come out in almost in a cathartic way? You were writing this character, this character is you. Did he say anything or do anything that you're like, oh, oh, that's me? And that, like, did anything surprise you in that realm? I mean, the, there were some, there were some, uh, the most surprising thing is that, um, the one of the villains in the book ended up being um, a friend at mm-hmm. at the end. Um, and um, I didn't see that coming. And actually I can't take credit for the idea. The idea came from my wife again, um, who's one of my readers and and suggested things to me. But um, uh, there was a um, kid that he didn't like in his neighborhood. And, and this isn't a big spoiler at the end of the book. It doesn't, okay, really good. it's kind of a secondary character, but um, uh, they end up uh, being friends after all said and done. The experiences that Zenith goes through, in Grabog, the the other world, the wonderland of my book, um, allowed him to see this relationship that he thought was one thing um, from a different perspective. And it allowed him to get past the animosity he had towards this other young boy and uh, make a friend of him. So uh, that was something I didn't see coming. It's nothing I intended when I started off the book. As I said, it was a suggestion uh, from my wife, but it was, you know, I was like, that's a great idea. That's mm. that shows him that he's grown in a way that I, you know, I couldn't represent any other way from the um, the plot, the main plot of the book. Um, and um, so that was a surprise to me. Mm. I love that. I love that. And and how can we expect Zenith to grow over the next two books that are going to come out? Um, don't give us too much. Obviously, have they already been written? 
Uh, one of them has been written. It'll be out next summer. Um, each one of them is going to come out of summer. This uh, this one's out summer 23, the second one summer 24, and then the third one will be out summer 25. That's the schedule right now. Always subject. No to pressure. Uh, no, I got, I can make that schedule. <laughs> they had oh, me good. on an earlier schedule, which I was not going to make, mm. but we've adjusted the schedule. And actually it's great because I guess uh, books that are kind of geared towards Halloween and are scary usually appear sometime in the summer. So there's yeah. a little bit of ramp up time. Um, so I'm a huge fan of Halloween. It's by far my favorite holiday. Um, so I'm very, and I, I love the horror genre, obviously. So uh, making scary, uh, scary books for kids is a dream come true. And I'm so happy that they're all going to be kind of lined up to be um, there for Halloween. Um, uh, but in the second, you know, the, the, the main, the main uh, relationship in the first book is between him, uh, Zenith and his older uh, sister, Apogee. And that continues to be the case in the, uh, the second and third book. The, the, the trilogy really centers around their relationship and how he's negotiating the, in that relationship as they age. Um, and what it means to be the younger sibling versus what it means to be the older sibling and all that and all the all the dynamics that go along with that. Um, I had um, growing up, um, I was my mother's uh, I was a result of my mother's second marriage. I'm my father's only child, but my mother was married before. And I have two older half brothers who I just considered my brothers. Um, I grew up with them in the household, but they were 11 and seven years older than me. So mm. much like Zenith, who feels like he's got now all of a sudden he's got a third parent when his sister Apogee starts uh, uh, kind of acting in a more responsible manner. Um, I had kind of a second and, uh, you know, th third and fourth parents in my life with these older brothers of mine. Um, my oldest old brother very much acted like a uh, acted like another parent to me. My middle brother was more of a like. I'm much older and I, you will do whatever I say. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he was kind of the bossy one. So, uh, you know, I didn't get away with a lot. If one of my brothers was home, was home I wasn't going to get to watch what I wanted on television or do anything um, out of the realm of uh, under their, uh, without them approving of it. So, uh, you know, that is the race, the relationship that is central to the whole trilogy. Um, and um, it goes through a lot of changes um, and uh, will continue to be, um, changing as we go through books uh, books two and books three and hopefully they'll come to a good resolution at the end of book three yeah I think we shall will. see we shall see i, I hope so <laughs> um what would you say to parents who who can tell that their children are into this kind of genre but they mm -hmm. might be a little hesitant or scared what would you say to the kids who might be tuning in as well I mean, I was a scaredy cat as a kid um i didn't like any of this stuff when i was really young and it took mm -hmm. me kind of a long process through my childhood and into my uh, early teens and stuff to kind of become comfortable with the genre. Um, and I mean, there's all levels of scariness out there. And so if you're interested in something scary, I mean, you know, you and your parents can work together to pick out something that won't be too <laughs> frightening for you to start with. Um, but again, like if you want to avoid all this stuff and having written a scary book, I hope you won't. But if, you know, there's no shame and uh, avoiding this stuff because it's just not your cup of tea. I avoided it for a very long time. And then I kind of flipped around and fell in love with it. Um, mm -hmm. I think everybody can come to this kind of stuff at their own pace. Um, for me, the, um, one of the first things that I uh, read that would be considered kind of scarier and it's pretty tame by today's standards, but still kind of creepy and fun were the stories of, um, of Poe, um, of, um, uh, you know, the Raven and, um, the black cat. Um, my mother gave me a, um, a, sh uh, a, a short story collection of his 
when I was in the hospital um, in, I think it must've been junior high. Um, mm. And uh, I would just devour the whole collection. Mm. Um, uh, and his stuff is, you know, is, is, is dark and creepy, but um, uh, you know, by today's standard, it's, it's relatively tame, but I think there's all levels of this kind of stuff. And certainly you can, um, touch the kind of spooky, scary stuff without, uh, without getting too intense. Um, and, um, I hope, I hope this, I think this, this book, uh, is kind of on the safer, uh, end of the scale. I want it to be creepy and scary. Um, but it's, there's nothing too extreme in it or anything that's too gross. Um, though, you know, we touch on a little bit of grossness. We touch on a little bit of scariness, a little bit of creepiness and a lot of humor too. So, Mm. Um, I think it's a good place for um, kids to start who want to kind of dip their toe in this kind of genre. But um, there's certainly other stuff that's tamer out there and stuff that would be um, fun um, for the kids to enjoy. Um, So, yeah, I would say you just, you know, kind of you and your parents work together and figure out something that'll be right for you. Well, and especially I'm a mom of two boys. And so it's like, I want them to be reading. I want to get them into a series. And it's Mm -hmm. like to get their attention, to keep their attention in a book for boys, I don't know. To me, it's tougher. So to have something like this where it is creepy and ghoulish almost and mm-hmm. you you just don't know what's going to happen next and it's funny, like that's really what's going to keep their attention and to and to establish a love of reading because I grew up loving to read. You know, I I devour I still do. Like I'm devouring books all the time. And yeah. so I wanna I wanna pass that on. And and I know so many listeners tuning in have that same desire. And with boys, it's just it's a little bit more of a challenge to to get them into it. So I love that you're out there creating stuff like this to really grab. Well, thank you. Attention. Yeah, I mean, I definitely want boys and girls of all ages to enjoy this stuff, and, and you know, the target group of the middle grade is really where it, where we're we're shooting for. But I think it's fun for anybody to mm-hmm. read, and I do try and get it off to a quick start because I do want to grab the reader's attention because I. I personally never did this as a kid. I don't think I bear. There's any barely any book that I ever picked up that I didn't finish. But mm-hmm. I know, like, that's always an option for any reader is to read your book and stop reading it. Um, especially with all the distractions that uh, yeah. kids today have, yeah. much more than we did. You know, sometimes when I grew up, we had, you know, if you're lucky, you had 13 channels on your television. Um, so. <laughs> When there was nothing good on TV, you you played with your toys or you I drew, um, mm-hmm. but I spent a ton of my time reading as well. You know, um, especially rainy days or wintry days in Chicago where you really can't go outside for Ooh, very yeah. long, anyways. Um, uh, to escape in the book is it's still a supreme pleasure, um, and I definitely I think I think any kid that doesn't read on a regular basis is really missing out, and that not because it's something you should do, but to be something because it's such a pleasure to discover yeah. a good book or. To discover a new author, there's so many books, so many authors out there. Like I, I, I know I'd heard of Edgar Allan Poe before my mom gave me that collection, but I'd never even gotten close to any of his yeah. stories before. And it was there was a whole world that you could hold in your hands. Um, that's the beauty of books, just the the ability to dive into a completely new world, a new mind of uh, of an author. And if they've written many things, you've got a, a whole library basically in front of you to uh, to make your way through. Yeah. Um, so I hope kids will like this book. I hope they'll stick around for the second and third uh, books. Um, I'm definitely um, want to want to entertain them, um, and I'm doing my best to do so. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Oh my gosh, we are almost to the end of time. I want to be respectful of your time. Um, 
If you had anything that you would want to leave with the listener today about the book, about your life, some kind of truth that you would want to leave with the listener. Oh no, truth. A nugget of truth. <laughs> um, I know you get you get into all these deep themes on your on your podcast. I, know. I'm like, I don't know if I'm deep enough for this for the show. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're, you're a your writer. <laughs> you're a writer and a reader. You definitely are. Um, well, you know, yes. Um, you know, I don't know. Like um, the book, the book, it really the book at the 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 kind of theme of the book is about uh, memory um, and how we construct the story of our life. Um, and Zenith really has some issues with that. He's remembering things from his own past that maybe not necessarily completely true. Um, I was a very reflective a kid. And I'm still a very reflective adult. Um, part of that was because I had a horrible time getting to sleep most nights when I was a kid. It always took me an hour or more to get to sleep. So I had lots of time to kind of ruminate on the day's events and on my life and where things were going. And I do believe that the unexamined life is not worth living. I feel like we should look at ourselves and think about ourselves and think about our own past. Um, but we also are always prone to create narratives out of our own past that may not necessarily be true. So um, I think it's important even from a very young age to um, look at your own life and, and have a realistic uh, opinion on it and a realistic view of what's happened and what you've done, both to not let your, both to, you know, let yourself off the hook in some cases and yeah. also to not let yourself off the hook. Um, it's easy for us to kind of escape past the bad things we've done in our life, but also to escape past the good things that we've done. Um, you know, and having been married for close to 30 years, my wife and I will look back on something that happened a long time ago and we'll have very different perspectives on it. Mm. And it just points out the idea that like your memory is not a videotape that you're recording. You know, you you kind of rem you remember things in a way that aren't necessarily accurate. So um, that's kind of what the book kind of ruminates on and what we should all ruminate on, I think, is just to be basically trying to, as best we can, have a realistic assessment of who we are, what we've done, what we can do better and what we've done well. Um, you know, I think um, all of us tend towards drama, <laughs> especially in the internet, uh, you know, which encourages us to be dramatic. Um, and sometimes that drama is called for and sometimes it isn't. Sometimes um, we haven't necessarily been the hero or the villain of our own tale. Um, We've just been someone who survived through some stuff. And so, mm. I don't know, I think I'm kind of saying the same thing over and over again, but, you know, just basically the idea that um, um, to have an accurate idea of your own past, is a, it's a challenge that we all face and one that you continue to face throughout your life um, because we tend to wipe away the hard edges of things as we move forward. Yeah, but I think, too, to that truth, it's it's a beautiful thing when you can look back honestly and and have grace for yourself and your story and, and to maybe not hold on so tight to things that you thought were necessarily so true at the time. Yes, exactly. I mean, that's the way I've, I've, I feel that I'm guilty of that as much as anybody else. And I, the problem with these things is even, even recognizing the problem doesn't mean you won't fall prey to it. Yeah. <laughs> but at least we're um, having this conversation. Yeah. I mean, it's good to be aware of it at least, you know, and know when you're, know when you're falling into those traps yourself, hopefully. So mm -hmm. um, I guess I would leave it there. I love it. I love it. Okay, Rob. Well, we are at the end of time. Uh, where can our listener find out more about you and get the book? Uh, well, you can get the book at any bookstore, bookstores everywhere now, I hope. But um, if you want to find out a little bit more about me, uh, I have a website, robrenzetti.com. 
I'm uh, on social media. I'm on Instagram barely, on Twitter quite a bit. I'm 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 still calling it Twitter. Protest. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so you can find me there. But uh, if you want to, if you go to robbrenzetti.com, there'll be links to um, uh, where you can buy the horrible bag of terrible things. Um, you can learn a little bit more about that. Learn a little bit more about me. And um, um, also, you can sign up for my newsletter. Um, if you're a fan of, if you happen to be a fan of my old show, My Life as a Teenage Robot. I'm uh, telling a new story with those characters for the first time in about 15, 16 years wow. uh, through my newsletter, um, a chapter at a time. So you could sign up for that if you're interested. But um, anyways, lots of stuff to dig into if you're so inclined. Fabulous. And of course, as always, that will always be in the show notes for you guys. Rob, thank you so much for taking a little time to speak to the audience today. I really enjoyed this conversation. And I don't know, I've, now I want to like dig into more horror stuff. And, uh, oh, I hope you will. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Thanks so That's much. A, I thank you, Liz. Thanks so much for having me. It was a pleasure talking with you, and um, even the philosophical stuff, which I was definitely <laughs> afraid of. You did great. <laughs> thank you. Temple University is ranked among the top fifty public universities in the U.S. through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty. Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu slash visit.